0: Lock and load. This is Steve Dace. The Steve Dace Show.
1: And greetings. Happy Thursday.
2: Welcome to the Steve Dace Show here live and on demand on Blaze TV, radio and podcast. I'm Steve Dace. I'm here with Todd Erzin, Aaron McIntyre. And of course, you can join us as well by letting us know what you think about what we think via the SteveDace.com inbox. Email the show. Steve at SteveDace.com. That's D-E-A-C-E. Like us on Facebook where I will lie to you there. Pretty much everything I am posting on Facebook, I do not believe. I'm just flat out lying to you with our hashtag Facebook Approved Takes. And yet, I I guess I should not be surprised at this. Several folks in the comments section aren't aware of this. I I just...
0: This is the greatest thing, according to my wife, the greatest thing you've ever done. Is it? She likes this? She likes this very much. Yes.
2: You know, one of my great radio mentors, the, the great Van Harden, who's now retired, multiple Marconi Award winner. Wouldn't be where I'm at without him. Wherever that is, wherever I am, I would not be without him. And he once said to me, Steve, this whole broadcasting thing would be great if it weren't for the listeners. <laughs> I mean, the amount of people in the comment section on my Facebook page. Now, I almost never read the comment section like almost ever anywhere. Because the, the comment sections are typically the places where sanity goes to die. All right. In America. But I just thought this might, it might be fun reading the comments this time since I was obviously, you know, um, Babylon being this thing, right? No. And I don't want to say it's like most of the people. It's just too many. (laughs) It's just too many. (laughs) All right. It's just broke my heart, Fredo. It's just too many. All right. Uh, so throw
0: me a freaking bone yes
2: yes (laughs) they're killing me whitey they're killing me yes so if uh you want to be lied to i'm lying to you i can't make it any clearer i'm lying i'm lying to you on my facebook page at Facebook.com/slash Steve Dace. Now I tell you what I really think. If you follow me on Twitter at Steve Dace Show, and I really tell you what I think. If you follow us on Miwi Parlor Gab and Getter, just look for Steve Dace there. Uh, you can also look for clips of the show that are both free to watch and free of censorship when you go to Rumble.com/slash Steve Dace Show as well. And again, the last name is D-E-A-C-E. Maybe some of you like to listen to this via podcast. Maybe after a long day of work, you kick a kick the feet up. You tune in and watch and listen to the world burn via our podcast. Do so with a great glass of wine from our friends at Patriot Wine, where they've got vineyards in Argentina that are up to 9,000 feet and they make world class 90 point wine there. Wines that are almost impossible to get imported here to the U.S., at least not without uh, a lot of bank. Uh, but you can get these wines that taste incredible. All of us have tried them with notes of blackberry, dark cherry, leather, and smoke. They're great for red meat pairing and grilling season. Uh, and you can try them right now at PatriotWine2021.com, the third highest vineyard in the world, no inflated prices, no fillers, low low in sugar, top quality imported wine 50% off today with no promo code for you. Half off. You just have to go to patriotwine2021.com. Again, that is patriotwine2021.com. Coming up on today's show, it is a special edition of this program. We are going to mark the 20th anniversary today of 9 11. We will cover the differences between Christianity and Islam. And Theology Thursday coming up in the final segment of the show. Next hour, friend of the program, multiple New York Times bestselling author, Joel C. Rosenberg will join us. He's got a brand new book coming out now about the inside of the incredible peace deals we saw during the Trump administration in the Middle East. We will talk to him about that and where we are 20 years after 9-11. But we will begin this hour with our own recollections, which begin with Aaron's rundown of what happened while we were away.
3: What happened while we were away brought to you by an ominous sign. Joe Biden is set to deliver a speech at some point today regarding his administration's new actions on combating the Delta COVID variant, which has already peaked and started to subside in the now hardest hit states over the summer. Asked what these new plans entail, White House Press Secretary Jen Psaki said yesterday.
4: There will be new steps. The president announces tomorrow. Absolutely. And will any of those new steps influence uh, the average American's day-to-day life? Should we expect any new mitigation recommendations as an example? It depends on if you're vaccinated or not.
3: Early reports indicate Biden has signed an executive order requiring all federal employees and contractors to be vaccinated with no option for opting out via testing. Newly obtained emails between muckety-mucks at the National Education Association and officials at the White House show the Biden administration tightened its masking guidance after that teachers union threatened White House officials with publicly releasing harsh criticism. According to Congressman Thomas Massey, The CDC has changed its definition of the word vaccination. Prior to 2015, the definition read, quote, injection of a killed or weakened infectious organism in order to prevent disease. From 2015 to 2021, the definition read, the act of introducing a vaccine into the body to produce immunity to a specific disease. In 2021, the definition reads, the act of introducing a vaccine into the body to produce protection from a specific disease. Science! In completely unrelated news, the head of the UK's version of the CDC's Advisory Committee on Immunization Practices, Adam Finn, is sounding the alarm bells on vaccinating children. There are side effects, albeit very rare, which we don't really understand at this point, means that there is a risk that we could be doing more harm than good with this vaccine. And in that situation, even though it's not very likely, we really are cautious to advise that all children should receive the vaccine. It's really mostly to do with the fact that the risks of COVID are so small in healthy children. But perhaps most important of all, we've been able to get really up-to-date information from paediatric cardiologists in the United States who are managing children who've experienced this myocarditis side effect. Uh, Admittedly small numbers, but still some early concerns that this might be a problem in the longer term. Uh, and that very up-to-date information is why we've kept to our line, actually, over the last two months, that we should be cautious about this. Meanwhile, in Australia, here's the public health chief talking about the future of contact tracing.
1: Our exposure sites still, will they be put back in place to be listed once we are reopening? Because they're not at the moment. Um, we will be looking at what contact tracing looks like in the new world
3: order. Yes, she really said that. In Florida, Governor Ron DeSantis, however, is having none of the push to require vaccinations to live life. You know, I think some of the stuff with, with the vaccine passports, I mean, it's an overreach. To be, It's too intrusive. And at the end of the day, my philosophy is, as governor, my
2: job is to protect your individual freedom. My job is not to protect corporate freedom. That is not what I'm here for. I mean, we have a good business climate, we have everything, but
3: this idea that businesses can just do whatever they want and invade your privacy and doing all that, no, I'm not signing up for that. This is the part of the montage where we erase stuff. We'll start with Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, who is erasing women while responding to a Daily Mail story, poking fun at her for calling women menstruating people. Quote, Not just women, trans men and non-binary people can also menstruate. Some women also don't menstruate for many reasons, including surviving cancer that required a hysterectomy. GOP mad at this are protecting the patriarchal idea that women are most valuable as uterus holders. Trans, two-spirit, and non-binary people have always existed and will always exist. People can stay mad about that if they want, or they can grow up. Erasing history now, the largest Robert E. Lee statue in the country was dismantled and removed to cheers in Richmond, Virginia yesterday. The statue was erected in 1890, and its time capsule will be replaced with a vial of unused COVID vaccine and a rainbow flag, among other things. In California, gubernatorial candidate Larry Elder was assaulted while touring a homeless encampment by a white woman in a gorilla mask. As you can see, the white woman threw what appeared to be an egg at Elder before she assaulted one of Elder's security detail, who was also egged. The White House is withdrawing the nomination of David Chipman to head the Bureau of Alcohol, Tobacco, and Firearms. The withdrawal, according to the Washington Post, comes amid bipartisan pushback over his... Opposition to Americans being able to exercise their Second Amendment rights. And finally, Not the B is back with an explainer on how to speak Bidenese.
1: Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, today I am going to teach you how to speak Bidenese. I'm going to teach you a few words and then we'll get the proper pronunciation and context from the master himself, President Joe Biden. The first word I'm going to teach you today is nexnelsrent. Nexnelsrent. President Biden will now demonstrate this word for us.
4: Donald Trump does pose an existential strength to this. The, it's not hypothetical.
1: It's not hypothetical. Next, no strength. Okay, the next word we've got is bad a kef care. Bad a kef care. Say it, try it. Bad a kef care. President Biden. Rock and I think it's a right for people that have bad a kef care. Next, my bus has been wet. Now, a common error on this one is people put the stress on the wrong syllable. It's not, my bus been wet. It's not, my bus been wet. It's, my bus been wet. Say it. My bus been wet. My bus been wet.
3: And that's what happened while we were away. (sighs) That was good because I don't know that
2: we're going to have too many things to discuss for laughs here on today's show. Aaron's Montage brought to you by Home Title Lock. Just how much equity do you have in your home? Let's not find out the hard way, shall we? Uh, Because cybercrime experts are alerting homeowners that the more equity you have, the greater the chance foreign and domestic criminals will come after you with home title theft. And in fact, This is what Home Title Lock, America's leader in home title protection, this is what they do, uh, protect you from something like this going down, where cyber thieves search hundreds of public databases for high equity homes. Then they pull your home's online title, forge your signature, stating you have sold your home to them so that they can then take out loans against your equity. And you're not going to be covered by your homeowner's insurance or your mortgage lender, But thankfully, you can protect your most valuable asset with our friends at Home Title Lock. So go to HomeTitleLock.com today. Register your address now to see if you're already a victim and receive a complete title history of your home that's $100 value for free. Find out for free that your home's title is in the free and clear today when you go to HomeTitleLock.com. That's HomeTitleLock.com. So I mentioned at the top of the show that We're going to commemorate today on the program the 20th anniversary of 9-11, which is actually on Saturday. But with tomorrow's show, with our roundtable and regularly scheduled uh, programming, we decided to make that happen today. But then after I made this proclamation, we went into Aaron's rundown. And it was a typical rundown of contemporary news that is happening at the moment, right? Yes. So here's here's why this was done. Let us begin our twentieth anniversary commemoration of nine eleven. We we all you know, we can all look back all we want. And, you know, we all have our we all know where we were. I'm I mean, I'm getting out of the shower, getting ready to do my my sports talk radio show. I had my first show for a period of like three months. And my wife comes in, she was watching the Today Show, comes in, uh, you know, Anna was just a baby and says, you're not going to believe what's going down, right? But we all know that. We all know these stories. I don't want to look back to the past, especially the last 10 minutes. Instead, I want to look at the future. What's happened since? Saturday is 20 days since 9-11. We were told this was a clash of civilizations. That we had to carry on our way of life in order so that the terrorist would not win. And there is a third right there. There's another one right there by your desk. This is what we were told. Right? Yes. Okay. As you watched Aaron's montage... Did it look to you like the way of life that was invaded by these Islamic radicals on September 11th? Did it look to you like it has been preserved? (laughs) Did it seem to you that it had?
0: I'm certain it hasn't. My way of life? Yes. Preservation is an active verb. We haven't been active preserving anything that we should have been sparked. And I was, I was certain at that point in my life we would be sparked to do. I, I, I've never been more wrong about anything in my life than what I thought would happen after 9-11 and what has actually happened in terms of the soul of this nation.
2: Explain further.
0: We should have realized how precious, how lottery-winning lucky all of us are to live in this nation Because we do uh, get drunk on our own happiness a lot and we forget how ridiculous the rest of the world can be. And that happens. It should have been... uh, Of course I'll stand a post. I'll get more involved. I'll be more aware. I'll do whatever it takes to make sure that good wins in the end. And instead... We've redefined good. And in so doing, we've actually redefined reality. We can reset this over and over and over again in terms of what the example is. Steve yesterday said about the lying with Ivermectin. Did you watch Ocasio-Cortez on Anderson Cooper, that clip, and her talking about Women, the non-gendered, and wo- that's that's insanity. She belongs in a rubber room, not that's, that's, in Congress. That, that's
2: even if you attempted to say anything like that on any major network in America twenty years ago. That's what they would have done to you. Yes, you would not. You would not have gotten back on any program, any major network in America, asserting anything, like anything. And but now this is just this is just common language. The trailer for the new Matrix movie came out today. Uh oh. Okay. I mean I haven't had a chance to watch it yet, but folks you might recall that 20 years ago these were this was a great hit trilogy, one of the maybe the the highest grossing R-rated movie trilogy of all time. And it was made by the Wachowski brothers and there's all kinds of uh, the lead character Neo, there's all kinds of Christian and open Christian imagery in the films, okay? 20 years later they're back for the Matrix I think it's called Reloaded, or Resur- no, Reloaded was one of the other Matrix films. I think it's called Ma- The Matrix Resurrected, I think. And it's now the Wachowski sisters. Oh, yeah they 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 both they they both trannied up, okay. They've both succumbed to mental illness. I mean th- that.
0: <laughs> Unless we think these are weird esoteric people, right. My 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 wife is telling me all the time about people on her social media posts that are, that she's seeing on facebook that are saying the exact same thing i mean this thing is in the water the ground is bad yeah everywhere
2: if if, if other than being forced to wear well we are wearing burkas so i gotta stop myself there they're forcing you to wear burkas now right they're just from china okay they're cloth ones that don't work um a, a, a study from the u.s army actually just came out this week that showed they don't they don't these cloth masks don't work and mask mandates don't work um but, I mean, other than just being compelled to speak Arabic, I mean, there's a certain level we cannot succumb to because of the, the built-in, grandfathered-in technological basis in the culture. You know what I'm saying? Yes. Like, we, we can't go back fully to the 8th century like a Taliban would prefer or an Al-Qaeda would prefer because we just have a built-in technological infrastructure that just wouldn't permit it, okay? It just, you, you just can't do that. OK, but on a beyond that, though, take away the technological infrastructure. Other than being compelled to do all of this in Arabic. On, on what plane did they not did, did they not at least gain and is and American exceptionalism not declined? Name me one. Education. Pop culture. Family. Can you can you name one where they haven't they didn't gain their worldview? I mean, we're we're talking about the story out of the White House today. It's just another executive orders of authoritarianism uh, for mass mass uh, vaccination of federal employees. Now employees of contractors with that do federal deals. No exceptions. You can't even opt out. And agree to be tested. We've got a major airline that was granting religious exemptions. Now saying, if you took one, we'll give you unpaid leave. That leave—that would seem to me to be their openly admitting religious discrimination. Actually, but um, that again, it's not in Arabic, but it's a, it's a similar form of authoritarianism. Correct?
0: Yes, and perhaps most importantly, when you say all of the areas where we haven't, uh, uh, where we have devolved. And I think you're going to go there at the end of the show. The church. Every time the church has an opportunity to distinguish itself, whether it's 9-11 or COVID Mm -hmm. or gender, it's not doing so. It's actually getting woker and more vanilla and more cowardly. Yes, yes.
2: but that had to happen for this stuff to come to the forefront. This could not have come to the forefront in really any other era of American history. Because we've we've just never had a more flaccid and impotent as on on a structural institutional basis, there are still scores of great churches in America and more in this country than any other country of the West. Okay, but on an institutional level, the the church has never been more impotent and flaccid in America than it is right now, and that is what set the stage for these things, for drag queen storytime hour to become the blessing of liberty. That that happens because that's what happened in Western Europe. First, the church vacated, abrogated its its place of 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 at least some form of primacy in the culture, and then that set the stage for everything else. Secularization uh, is not what causes the church to diminish a diminished church leads to secularization it's the other way around yes uh, the church cannot be driven out i mean the greatest example ever is who was was a voltaire that claimed that he would live to see the bible irrelevant and then the, the french bible society has oh. been printing bibles out of his home ever since he died they bought it right um the the, the church cannot be driven out but it's it's lampstand can be taken away it, it can it can abrogate its responsibility and so that's what occurs first before we see the cultural trends that we are seeing now. There's another angle to 9 11 we must discuss, and we will do that here when we return. You know you've got a million reasons to be stressed out these days you got have a landlord named cindy johnson at remax who doesn't know how to fumigate a damn building in the 21st century and can damn near get you killed just sitting at a desk talking into a microphone i mean that could that could really stress you out uh another thing that could really stress you out is male pattern baldness and receding hairlines like when You know, again, you have a landlord named Cindy Johnson that does not fumigate a damn office. You know, that that causes receding hairlines and male pattern baldness as well. So uh, don't let that happen to you. I mean, unlike unlike me, you're stuck with a landlord named Cindy Johnson. But if you're not stuck with a landlord named Cindy Johnson, get a hold of keeps. They can still do something about your male pattern baldness and receding hairline. And they do it all online. First of all, they use the generic version. So you're going to save a ton of money up front with the generic versions. But then they do it all online for convenience. Everything's done online. You answer a few easy questions, snap a few pics of your hair, and a licensed doctor will get back to you and fix your situation a lot faster than Cindy Johnson at RE-MAX will when you are her tenant in her building. So uh, then it's shipped directly to your door. And apparently at your house, you don't have to worry about being invaded by wasps because your landlord at your home is also not named Cindy Johnson. So uh, why make trips to the doctor and drugstore unless you're trying to escape the wasps that your landlord, Cindy Johnson, apparently is incapable of getting rid of when you can do it all online from your couch. And you can get started right now with half off your first order when you go to keeps.com grow K-E-E-P-S for keeps.com slash grow. When you want a problem solved, don't call Cindy Johnson. Go to keeps.com slash grow. Todd and Eric, can you guys hear and see me okay back there in the studio since I had to relocate?
3: We see you very closely, but we but can. very good. Okay, good.
2: So I want to get back to our 20th anniversary remembrance of 9-11 if I could, because there's a lot of talk about, and there's a pullout today uh, from our friends over at Trafalgar Group Uh, That a majority of Americans are concerned that the haphazard pullout from Afghanistan uh, could lead to another 9-11 kind of event. But with all due respect to Trafalgar, uh, I think the question has a flawed premise, guys, because I really don't believe that the the number one factor that created 9-11 was what was going on with our foreign policy at the time. I really believe the number one factor, and I'm not saying it wasn't a factor. I'm not saying it's not a factor at all. But I think the number one factor that caused 9-11 wasn't our foreign policy. It's our immigration policy. There were 19 hijackers on 9-11, Todd and Aaron. Would you like to know how many of them qualified for a student visa entry into the United States? Take a guess. High number? It's a high number. All of them. All 19 qualified for student visa entry into the United States. All 19. Every last one, Muhammad Atta on down. All 19 9-11 perpetrators qualified for student visa entry into the United States. All 19 since we invaded afghanistan you know we were told for the last 10 plus years as more and more mission creep set in first in iraq and then of course now in afghanistan we were told and they they still trotted out this line with the pullout that we have to fight them over there so that we don't end up having to fight them here except since we invaded afghanistan in october of 2001 there have been at least 30 foiled or successful terrorist attacks on U.S. soil from those radicalized by Islam, at least 30. And that includes the Zarnia brothers who committed the most successful terrorist attacks since 9-11 at the Boston Marathon, over or at least 30 from Islamic radicals, not white nationalists, not white racists or white supremacists. Islamic radicalists. So again, let me reset these two talking points, and then i want to get each of you's reactions. All 19 of the 9-11 hijackers were granted student visa entry into, into the United States, and there have been at least 30 successful or foiled terrorist attacks on U.S. soil since we invaded Afghanistan 20 years ago by Islamic radicalized. Your thoughts on those two data points and what they mean?
0: Well, it's a perfect symbol, a a lack of understanding of what borders are and what immigration policy ultimately is meant to endorse, uphold. Steve is uh, very, uh, he's on record as saying many times before that the founding document of this country is the Declaration of Independence, it, it, is, it is the spirit. It is the flag in the ground. And then the Constitution comes along, is, is brick and mortar. But we've lost track of that spirit, of who we are. And therefore now the brick and mortar is the thing the National Archives yesterday just came out and, and put cautionary language on the Constitution itself is because our spirit is was dead back then 20 years ago, and now it is the undead. Mm-hmm. I mean it has it come alive and, and not in, not in the good way. Let there be life. no 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 no, no, not in this way. We have utterly lost who we are supposed to be called to be. We won't stand a post. We can't be bothered. and and therefore look what you get. You, you get a border policy that has gone from neglect in a time when everybody, look around you, mask, vaccine, death is upon us. Yet the border is wide open and who cares who comes in with what? Reality itself. This is, this is not some rhetorical flourish I do. Reality itself is in the dock. It is entirely up for grabs. Nothing short of that. We are The the, the notion of, of Endgame, the Thanos snap being fiction, it's not metaphor. That's where we live right now. Now, everything, everything is being undone. And the border is a perfect symbol for that. When you, this city on a hill, Steve says, the first and only country founded on a creed. Well, of course borders have to go of course they do if you hate that creed if you don't care about it anymore Aaron.
3: what's happened with afghanistan in particular over the last five weeks is really a microcosm and a, a sped up version of what's been happening in this country over the last 50 years the, the people who were supposedly trained The people who supposedly had the willpower, the people who supposedly had the tools in order to be the vanguards of their new way of life in their new country, Afghanistan. Like uh, rats and being flooded out, like wasps and uh, smoke in some places. They just scattered. They just scattered when the Taliban came riding through. That's When you talk about the abrogation of the church's duty in America, the same thing, though at a very slower pace, and with a different enemy over there, they call it the Taliban, they call it radical Islam, they call it ISIS. Over here, we call it Hollywood, we call it the mainstream media, we call it the spirit of the age overall. Over here, over the last 50 years or so, the same thing has been happening. Different actors, but the same thing. The people, the church, who are supposed to be the vanguard of everything that is good, true, and beautiful about the United States, yes, even a border, yes, even a border, largely, though much slower, have been abrogating that duty and fleeing and scattering. And that's why we find ourselves in the situation that we are in right now. It is not hyperbole when Todd talks about reality itself being at stake. I hope you heard this. I tried to emphasize these words in the montage today. And yes, it's Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez. Ha 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 ha. She's so dumb. But let's read what she says. Trans, two-spirit, whatever the hell that is, and non-binary, whatever the hell that is, people have always existed and will always exist. You can call that Orwellian. You can call that whatever fancy term you would like to. But it is an illustration of what Todd just said. Reality is at stake. What reality is at stake when you can unabashedly, one of the people, one of the um, most popular, I guess we should say, not a whole lot of power, but one of the most popular congresswomen in the United States can just freely say that a two-spirit has always been and always will be without being laughed off the stage and institutionalized. When that can happen, Todd is absolutely correct. Reality itself is at stake, and it's largely due to the abrogation of the church in this country of its duties to vanguard that which is true, good, and beautiful.
2: That is uh, very well said by both of
0: you.
2: And I have been, as I've been listening to you guys continue on with your thoughts, uh, Part of my brain has been parked, Todd, with you You using the phrase undead. And, you know, that's often associated with vampire mythology, where you have a, a mortal coil that is erect, that has motor function, that operates, and, and, but it's, and it's sentient, but it is soulless. It's dead inside. And so the outside shell may look like a person you once knew. But what made them the person that you loved or knew or maybe even disliked and loathed on the inside, the this the soul, um, the culmination of their thoughts and emotions, those are gone. So they're just a shell of themselves or this would this would be a, an expression that Jesus uses in the New Testament of a whitewashed tomb. In many respects, that's kind of what we are. That you can still go to the National Archives and see all these things and you, you can you can uh, go see paintings that apps that you know, depict biblical events at the US Supreme Court. All, all that imagery and all that stuff is still there. The mortal coil, the shell remains. But on the inside, what all those things were 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 done for their purpose, the soul of them have been stripped of. It's been stripped bare it, it, they've lost all their meaning and. That that's a troubling analogy, Todd, that you have made there.
0: Well, it's it speaks again to my growing schizophrenia balancing all the blessings of and we just right. we talked about that right. recently of our lives I mean my yeah. cup runneth over in many ways yet at other times I'd like this is end of days kind of stuff there are there are just minions of nonsense everywhere on plain sight right on the soccer sidelines that are giving uh my daughter's great joy right now They're, they are yards away from people who believe exactly what it costs you. Cortez says, there's no way that doesn't lead to blood sooner or later. There's no way. I don't I don't know what else to say. But you, they, they, if you are not allowed to hope, if you are not allowed to have dialogue without being called the worst sort of names, one side, this is Thunderdome now on some level. It is Thunderdome sooner or later. And I'd rather enter it myself than my kids have to do it. Let's do this mm-hmm. then let's do it
2: well I am I'm in the mood for a bit of a Thunderdome uh, at the moment so today so. would be a good, t- today would be a good day to invite me into a Thunderdome because I have some excess um, uh, angst and negative uh, emotion and thoughts that um, I would like to find a deserving subject to take them out on <laughs> at the moment okay but you know what we what we're talking about here is it leads us back to what is the core really the, the 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 core truth and and mantra and mission statement of this show and that is revival or bust that if if there is not spiritual revival this is going to go bust and bust can look a lot of different ways bust can look like bleeding kansas bust can look like as you alluded to todd it can look like bull run it can look like Fort Sumter or Gettysburg or uh, Antietam, uh, the worst deadliest battle in American history and any war we've ever fought. Or, or it can look like China where we just, you know, we just roll over post Tiananmen Square because they gave us the trinkets we like. They gave us the outlets we liked. And, and that's really that that's all we want of our lives Steve, that's all we ask of ourselves and so we just carry on
0: it's idiocracy Steve but when it's in real life there's no laugh track there's only lamentation
2: because the joke's on us yes that's why there's no laugh track. yeah yeah the, the, the joke is on the audience that's why they're not laughing exactly we'll come back best-selling author Joel C Rosenberg's going to join us here in just a minute. And we are back here with Hour 2, live and on demand here on Blaze TV, radio, and podcast. Steve Dace here alongside Aaron McIntyre, Todd Erzin, and all of you. Let us know what you think about what we think via the stevedace.com inbox. You can access that by emailing the show, steve at stevedace.com. That's D-E-A-C-E. You can also go to Facebook where in order to avoid Facebook fake checkers, I'm just going to flat out lie to you. I'm just lying to you every day on my Facebook page with Facebook approved takes. So just understand, I believe the exact opposite of everything I am posting currently on my Facebook page. Uh, But you can also find out what I really think by following us on Twitter at Steve Day Show or look for me as well on MeWe, Parlor Gab, and Getter, and get clips of the show that are free to watch and then free of censorship when you go to rumble.com slash Steve show, rumble.com slash Steve show. And again, the last name is D-E-A-C-E. For those of you that enjoy the podcast, we appreciate you. Thank you. You have played a huge part in the explosive growth of this program over the last couple of years please if you haven't done this yet already leave us a five-star review and also uh, hit the subscribe or follow button on the podcast platform of your choice those two little gestures help the show to continue to grow and we want to thank the thousands of you that have done both of those for us already because you have played a part in our show's growth so thank each and every one of you we're going to continue on looking back now on the 20th anniversary of 9-11 with a friend of the program, multiple best-selling author who's out with a brand new book called Enemies and Allies, An Unforgettable Journey Inside the Fast-Moving and Immensely Turbulent Modern Middle East. And of course, I'm talking about the one and only Joel C. Rosenberg. It's good to see you again, my friend. Welcome back to the show. Steve, thank you so much. So, Joel, before we talk about your book specifically and what's gone on, Uh, over the last few years with historic peace deals in the Middle East. Let's go back to 9-11. We were having a conversation on our show here last hour. And, you know, we have a certain technological infrastructure in our society that, uh, you know, uh, something like Islamic radicalism just simply could not roll us back to uh, an an 8th century. It couldn't roll us back to a Kabul or a Mosul. Uh, They couldn't do that, but when you look at every other leading cultural indicator, you just look what's in the news right now, you look at the increasing authoritarianism going on in our society. Um, it, it is very clear on a systemic level that we have, on an inst- or that institutionally anyway, there's still scores of great churches in America, but institutionally, the church has really abrogated its position of, of, of any kind of primacy in the culture. Uh, the state in control, we're being forced out how to cover our faces. Um, I, you know, 20 years later, remove Arabic and calculate our technological infrastructure. And Joe, I gotta tell you you look at every other cultural indicator, man, and it, it kind of looks like if 9 11 ushered in a class of civilizations,
4: it kind of looks to us like we're losing this. Are we wrong? Well, uh, uh you're not wrong. I mean, it, it, look, we are the pinnacle of human civilization, in terms of the economy, technology, military power, but rather than be bold and courageous and fearless about our faith and our freedoms, because of that, uh, the countries become uh, weak and indecisive and divided, and and we are sacrificing our freedoms. And uh, if that type of weakness is getting projected from the top right now, um but you're right it's it's not just it's not just the, i mean in many ways i believe that politics are a lagging indicator of the spiritual and cultural climate of the country right so you don't get biden because the country's strong <laughs> you know you don't get a weak president because everybody's you know courageous and bold and strong in their faith and in their sense of who they are as americans but because they don't, they don't feel that way. He's a, a reflection of what's going on deep inside the culture in business and academia, and tragically inside the church. You get access and, I, and I've always wanted to ask you this
2: and all the times we've talked to you both publicly and privately here. I, I can't believe I've never asked this before, so let me ask it now. How is it possible an evangelical messianic Jew? get so much access to the Islamic Arab world. How have you built these kind of relationships, relationships, Joel?
4: Well, uh, since you asked it, including my faith as a follower of Jesus Christ, I, you know, there really is only one answer. Um, and the answer is my friends and I have been praying for open doors to build friendships and relationships in Israel at the highest levels, in the United States at the highest levels, and throughout the Arab Islamic world. Um, I can't actually give you a, a, a more complicated or sophisticated answer to that. I can tell you how it actually began at, at a practical level, but but it's crazy. Let's just say it. And I say in enemies and allies, like I'm not a former Secretary of State. I'm not the former you know ambassador of something. I'm not a billionaire CEO that I don't have a huge political movement. There's no particular reason on the on the face of it that not only have I been invited in, but multiple times over and over, and to spend hours and hours and hours, sometimes in private conversations, but sometimes on the record, um, it's fascinating. You don't see the New York Times getting this access or the Wall Street Journal, um, So, but it's prayer. It's the power of prayer. And I, I know for many people, probably not your listeners, they'll be like, yeah, he's crazy. Well, okay, how did I get in the, those rooms? Yeah, they don't have
2: to deal with you. Right. Because you mentioned to yourself, you don't you don't have some kind of standing platform or 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 letterhead that even if they didn't want to tolerate you demands that they at least on some level do. Instead, you have been given an immense amount of favor here. We have a lot of mutual friends that you've introduced to the royalty in uh, the the, the royalty in Jordan, uh, the government in Egypt and all throughout the Arab world. So it is extraordinary that you have this kind of access. What does that access tell you right now that their collective view is of the United States, Joel?
4: Well, uh, as, I, as, I, as I say in the book, um, enemies and allies, that I, I really two major conclusions come, and then there's subpoints. But let's start with the two big ones, right, Steve? Uh, the, the, the way that the Arab Muslim leadership sees the region and the United States and they see, and, and the way Israel sees it, is actually very, very similar, which is interesting, right? Mm-hmm. Um, the, the, on the one hand is the bad news, and the other hand is the good news. The bad news is our Arab Muslim and Israeli allies see the radical Islamism as ascendant right now, that it that it that they feel that the radicals have the, they, that the radicals feel that they have the wind at their back that Allah is on their side. Now, when I was finishing the book, that's because Iran was ascendant. That 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 Obama and Biden had had made this crazy, insane nuclear deal and shoved hundreds of you know billions of dollars worth of cash at the worst regime, the worst radical Islamist regime on the planet, sort of begging them to don't kill us. Okay, and that deal was a signal to the Iranian leadership that they're on the rise and and that America is weak okay and then the surrender by president biden of a country that was not perfect i've been to afghanistan i like it's 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 a poor backward country but it was as stable as it was going to get under trump and biden surrendered he literally snatched defeat from the jaws of victory and he did it on the eve of 9/11. So combined, this makes it this is empowering and emboldening the radicals. That's the first observation of our, of our allies in the region. The second one, however, is that America is retreating from the Middle East. That they're abandoning their allies in the Middle East, and therefore, Arab allies, Arab leaders are having to fundamentally recalculate who they think their allies are and who their friends are. And they're looking to Israel, and they're thinking, you know, for 100 years, we thought the Israelis, the Jews, the Zionists were our enemies. It turns out that actually they're the good guys and that the Iranians are the bad guys, and we need to join forces, not just for our economic and tourism and trade and technology, but to create an alliance against Iran, Iran's regime, because the Americans are effectively abandoning us.
2: I hear, in other words, our actions are emboldening the other side's prayer circles. Is that, they they see this as their version. As you were describing, uh, you you know, divine providence at work in your career, they are seeing their version of divine providence at work now with what these world events. Is that what
4: I hear you say? That's exactly what you hear me say, Steve. And, And think about it this way. If you're a radical Islamist, whether you're Shia in Tehran, or you're a Sunni in Kabul as part of the Taliban, or Hamas, or Hezbollah, or the Houthis, or you know, name your your poison. It's all the the Baskin Robbins 57 flavors. They're all it's all sugary and cold, but it's all basically the same thing, right? So from their perspective, they have now brought down two superpowers. Okay, the Soviet Union and the United States, and the United States has been driven out of. Out of uh, out of Afghanistan, and while the Soviet Union fully imploded, America's not long behind, and and that is uh, that's their view. They believe that, that 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 the the coming caliphate, the global Islamist kingdom, is near. They they believe it's imminent. And while they have theological differences between them, and huge political differences, tactical and strategic differences between the Taliban and Tehran, for example, okay, so what? Uh, ultimately, what America should be fearing is not the Taliban per se. That's bad. It's ugly. But Tehran, those leaders, are actually just two months away now. Okay, Steve, two months away from having enough nuclear fuel to start actually building nuclear weapons. Now, it might take some time to attach those bombs to high-speed missiles, so I'm not saying that they're going to be able to hit us in two months, but Israeli intelligence, American intelligence is telling us we're just a few months away, um, and and yet Biden is surrendering, and and he just canceled the trip of our defense secretary, Lloyd Austin, to Riyadh, Saudi Arabia, like, so, so you're kowtowing to Tehran, you're kowtowing to the Taliban, and you're throwing our allies, either literally or figuratively, Under the bus. I think you're
2: uniquely qualified to answer this question, Joel, because you're you're a guy with deep convictions, but as we've already chronicled, you have the ability to to bridge differences uh, and build an eclectic menagerie of associations. So, is there is who was who in the Biden administration from a foreign policy standpoint? Do you respect? as an honest broker?
4: Uh, that's tough, Steve. It's tough because <laughs> I don't wanna be a partisan on this. I know, uh, I, believe, I know you don't, I, believe I know you don't. I believe Bipartisan support of Israel and bipartisan support of our Arab allies and bipartisan uh, opposition to Iran. But I am I am scanning the horizon and I'm, I'm being hard pressed. To find anybody in the administration. Let me let me right put
2: now. the question another way. Let me put it another way, Joel, if you don't mind. Okay. All if ahead. if one of your extensive contacts in the Arab world, high up or close to the, the governments in the Arab world that you have friendly relationships with said, listen, we've got to we, we've we've got to really shore up what's going on with US foreign policy and get a, a sober minded voice here from somebody within the current administration. Who is the person that you would urge one of your Arab contacts to contact in order to, to, to get that sort of perspective?
4: Well, Steve, I, I would actually start with encouraging them to go to, to two people on the outside, but who have very close ties. Uh, I would start with uh, uh, Leon Panetta, who I think, uh, who I disagree with on, on you know, every, you know, social issue and probably economic issue. But Leon Panetta, the former uh, chief of staff at, at the at the Clinton White House, the former CIA director and defense secretary under Obama and Biden, I think he is an honest broker. I think he, I think he, his his instincts on the Middle East are mostly good, and I think he's got gravitas in the Democratic Party. I don't think he's a lunatic or a left wing radical. So I think Panetta is good, and 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 you know. Mostly, right. I mean, I'm not going to go to him on abortion issues or mm-hmm. you know uh, marriage issues, but the other one would be Joe Lieberman, um, and 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 very similar on on the same thing. I don't agree with them on social and uh, most economic issues, but on foreign policy, Lieberman is a rock star. Now, Lieberman has gotten uh, so he's he's become so conservative in a sense. He he feels like the Democratic Party moved away from him that he you know he was super close friends with John McCain and so forth. Now. You know they're not going to join a Republican ticket, but I, you know, could Joe Lieberman serve as a Secretary of State under under a Republican administration in the future? He could and he might, <laughs> but I'm just saying these would be two I'd start with. I would say that uh, Bill Burns at CIA um, is. I don't know him. I, I, you know, I've read his book. I'm studying him. I still think he'd be a good person to go to. I don't think he's a hyper partisan, and that's the first thing, Steve. We're, you know, if you're looking for allies in the administration or at least people that you can have a conversation with, you have to start with people who aren't Pelosi Kool-Aid drinkers. Right. And that's challenging. Um, but I would say Bill Burns at CIA. Um, I don't think I don't think Tony Blinken is a hyper partisan. I just think he's weak. I don't think he knows what he's doing. Um, I don't think he's a bad man, but I think he, he doesn't understand what he's up against.
2: That was a troubling answer. Let, let's go to the previous administration, Joel. Troubling because I think we all sense that that was that With was true, trouble. and that's how we, how we feared you would answer. <laughs> okay, let, let, let's go to the let's go to the previous administration. Got what ahead. was their secret sauce in in the amount of statecraft they were able to perform in just no. four years? How did they do it? What was the Trump administration's secret
4: sauce, Joel? Well, that's one of the fun stories that I do report, and in and, and the first book, Enemies Now, I said the first book that goes in, and I sat with Trump in the White House, I sat with Pence, I sat with Pompeo, and I'm telling you, it's a fascinating story. The short version of it is that Trump threw out the, the playbook of the Washington peace industry and the Middle East you, know, uh, you know, coterie of people that all think they know what they're doing. Trump came in with no foreign policy experience, no national security appearance, uh, experience, which was one of the reasons I was deeply uncomfortable by him in 2016. But his instincts were right. His instincts were right, and he gathered around him a great team um, to advise him. And, and, he, and, and the list of things he did um, for Arab-Israeli peace treaties when nobody said he could make peace at all and would make the Middle East worse. Ripped up the Iran nuclear deal and didn't lead to a nuclear war. Uh, You know, uh, maximum pressure campaign that was bringing Iran to its knees until Biden started letting up on them. Uh, You know, uh, moving the U.S. embassy from Tel Aviv to Jerusalem when everyone, including his Secretary of State then, Rex Tillerson, said that would blow up the region. It didn't. Trump knew it did. It wouldn't, but he did listen. He thought about it. He took a year to make his decision. But basically, he, he Trump threw out the old playbook and stopped listening to seventy years worth of advice that wasn't working. I think his
2: speech in Riyadh in twenty seventeen, Joel, I, I think it's the finest foreign policy speech an American president has given since nine eleven, and because I I think it was it lacked all. Uh, you agree with me? Good. I think it I, I think it lacked I think it lacked all magical thinking. I think it accepted human nature for what it is, but yet at the same time at, at that it was practical, it was also an invitation. Hey, if 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 you want to be prosperous and peaceful, um you, regardless of different customs, we are happy to uh, partner with you. And I, and I thought trying to reach people where they are as opposed to projecting who we want people to be or wish that they were. Um, I, I think that set the stage for a lot of what the successes that came over the course of his
4: administration, Joel. I agree, and, I, and that's why I, I quote the speech extensively. And think about it, in 2016 during the campaign, again, one of the things that bothered me about Trump then, but I came to, I came to really appreciate him, and I told him this much, um, But one of the things that bothered me was that he called for a full Muslim ban. No Muslim could enter the United States. That was not good rhetoric, it was not good policy, but he changed, he adjusted and he said, all right, what do I really mean? What do I really want? And he worked with his team and said, we need to keep people from countries like Afghanistan and other places that aren't vetted. We don't know who they are. Uh, We gotta keep them out of the country till we can figure it out. So it it was fascinating that his first trip, Trump's first trip, anywhere as president was to Saudi Arabia, where they gathered 50 Muslim world leaders to meet with him and they embraced Trump and his message, even though it's a message you and I have been saying for years, radical Islam is the problem, radical Islam is the problem. And all of our critics said, oh, you're being mean to all 1.8 billion Muslims. Like, no, we're not. We're being fair to the Muslims who don't wanna kill us and we're pointing the finger at the Muslims who do. And now, there's this sea change of thinking in the Middle East, which is my my book's the only book to chronicle and to report directly from the palaces and from the streets, in which Arabs have decided, Muslims have decided, most of them, we don't want to be 9-11 people. We're not Bin Laden people. We're not Taliban people. We're not Iranian lunatics. We don't want to be that. And we're not going to take it anymore. And God bless them for it. It's a huge, huge change. And with Americans focusing on COVID and race riots and CRT and all the, what we'd say, mishagas in Yiddish, uh, like the the craziness here at home, it's understandable that most Americans don't see the sea changes that are coming in the Middle East, Um, but now Biden has forced us to ask again, who are our enemies, who are our allies, and how are we treating both?
2: Final question, my friend. If you had an audience with President Biden and his senior foreign policy team and they said give us your absolute best recommendation Joel based off your extensive contacts in the region and we promise you we, we won't promise you we will implement it but we promise you we will critically study it and consider it what would that one recommendation be
4: stop treating Saudi Arabia as a pariah state stop making a deal with the Iranian leader who killed 30,000 of his own people and encourage Saudi Arabia to make a peace deal with Israel and then build out an a Middle East NATO where the Middle East leaders with our support but their troops uh, stand up against Iran and and the radicals
2: hmm. I think that is definitely a suggestion that would be, wise to consider the name of the book enemies and allies an unforgettable journey inside the fast moving and immensely turbulent modern middle east always good to see you my friend uh, much success not that you thank need any more you You've had plenty but thank you very much joel
4: thank you steve god bless you appreciate it right.
2: same to you take care brother take care
4: a uh, conversation
2: we just had with Joel Rosenberg here, brought to you by our friends over at Startmail. You know, free email services like Gmail and Yahoo, they aren't really free. You are gonna pay with your privacy. In fact, uh, the tech giants, uh, they bank on exploiting your data by selling it to the highest bidder. Your business plan, Google already has it. Your medical records, Yahoo sells them to drug companies. And on and on it goes. That's why you wanna start to use Start Mail. Start with a T because it'll help make you feel safe again. It keeps your email private, period. Every email can be encrypted, even if the recipient doesn't use encryption. And when you delete an email with Startmail, it is gone forever. And then also know they've got their own servers. They don't use a company like Amazon's, which means they can't be put out of business like a parlor ever. And switching to Startmail is seamless too. You can easily transfer all your current email data so there's no starting over from scratch. Your cybersecurity's never been more at risk uh, email snoops and scammers taking advantage of the pandemic as phishing has skyrocketed in the last year. So take control of your privacy with Start Mail before it's too late. Start securing your email privacy with Start Mail. Sign up today. You'll get 50% off your first year when you go to startmail.com slash Steve. Again, it starts with a T. Startmail.com slash Steve and get 50% off your first order with Startmail.com. Slash Steve, gentlemen, I know you were listening in to the conversation we just had with best-selling author Joel C. Rosenberg. What stuck out to you?
0: Well, there at the uh, near the end, uh, and you asked about the secret sauce, and it's 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 never not interesting to hear that Donald Trump, he, he, the guy, has been painted in so many ways. Uh, but very often, uh, very uh, hardly ever, is he painted as the guy who is uh, flexible and introspective. And that's what you just heard from Joel Rosenberg uh, when it was talk about the so-called Muslim ban. That Donald Trump, right out of the gate, knew he had to do something, and he's very he's very res- uh, reflexive, and he will say things that other people won't say. And then other people took that information, and says, "Well, here's how we." uh shape this to make this uh effective this is this is a guy on multiple levels and Steve you said this many times on the show as part of your own learning curve to to deal with chump in your own mind and what you think you could get out of him this this is a man that if the right people were in his orbit could and you you say he accomplished more than anybody as a for conservative since Reagan but uh, actually think of what it could have been with people like right. Joel Rosenberg around him in every venue, not just foreign policy, social policy, domestic policy. He, I mean, it would have been a, a, an utter home run for the things that you have been uh, declaring uh, your interest for and how many years you've been doing this as your business. But that's the frustration. We just There were so few Joel C. Rosenbergs in his orbit.
2: Well, you saw that last year, and that's why we're here this year. Uh, because the orbit was Debbie Burks and Anthony Fauci. Yeah. And it was just now, at this time last year, just now they were bringing Scott Atlas in to try to push back against this entire narrative. But they had lost six months of their presidency in an election year. And so this goes back to the Morton Blackwell at the Leadership Institute. Yeah, he has a great uh, a great creed, which is personnel is policy. Yep. All right. That it really comes down to whom the, the government is just too big. So it really comes down to whom do you put in charge whom do you delegate that authority to uh, in order to carry out your vision? Can they be trusted or not? And, you know, Joel mentioned the name Rex Tillerson. That's a name we haven't talked about on this show for a few years, but you guys remember how frustrated I was by him. Yeah, I thought he was a terrible secretary of state. Frankly, he was a secretary of state that Hillary Clinton, if he, if he didn't work for big oil, he could have worked for Hillary Clinton if she had won the election. And, he, and right after that great speech in Riyadh, gentlemen, you'll recall, he tried to undermine uh, the president's message. And then they, thankfully, finally, they got rid of him. Our, our friend Jesse Kelly said recently that he could be all in for another Trump run, but this time he needs to know up front right. they're going to hire a lot better people because too many of his hires undermined his own messaging too often. And I think that's it's good for you to reset that, Todd. Aaron, what are your thoughts?
3: So I, I think in, in the context of the conversation that we just had here about uh, Donald Trump's foreign policy versus. What we're starting to see now from this administration, you know, United States foreign policy always has a mission. It is not missional, though, in the sense that we think about it Mm. within the church. Missional meaning a long-term occupation, a long-term campaign in order to change something around you. That's not necessarily That's not necessarily the role of the United States foreign policy and, by extension, the United States military. The United States foreign policy and military is, has been, always should be, and not always has been, I should clarify, to protect and look out for the interests of the United States and her allies. That does not mean nation-building, as we well know now. That means seeing the world for as it is, not for how you'd like it to be, that means seeing a Kandahar as it is, not as California or a future California. <laughs> that is that is missing, though, in the progressive worldview. They think that they can bring Hollywood to Kabul. They think that they can bring the West uh into uh into Afghanistan and into Iraq, and that's largely that's largely impossible right now. But what the Trump administration did is say We have 18, 17, 18 years of experience with this. It's not working. Here's what we're going to do. We're going to drop a Moab on you if you get in our way. And if not, then uh, anybody who wants to make money, uh, come sit at uh, at the poker table table over here and we'll be your huckleberry. That's seeing the world as it is. That's, That's actually helping the mission of the United States foreign policy. That's not being missional, trying to change things that... Uh, may or may not change um, by your own endeavor and by your own efforts. And uh, to see the stark differences that we have seen over these past few months which with what we saw all of last year especially, it's it's very troubling, but it should not be surprising. We'll come back.
2: Theology Thursday. We're going to look at Christianity and Islam as we continue on the 20th anniversary of 9-11 here in a moment. You know, we've been talking about Rough greens here on the show for a long time now. And by now, you know what it is. It's the supplement powder that you put in your pet's food, like I did for our dog, Cap, this morning. And it puts back in your pet's food, probably everything that's been good for them that has been taken out at the factory. Same thing they do with our human food. That's why a lot of times we're taking pre and probiotics, antioxidants, omega oils, vitamins, minerals, nutrients, etc. We spend so much money on supplements because we have to supplement our diet with a lot of the good stuff that was taken out for mass distribution. They're doing that with your pet's food, too, and that's why you want to use Rough Green. let put that stuff back in your dog's diet. But you might be asking yourself, how do I know that my pet's food is indeed still going to be light if we put this in? Well, one way to find out, how about we give you that first 14-day Jumpstart bag for free? Now, we're going to tell you, put up a couple bucks for the shipping, so you've got skin in the game. But we're going to give you that bag for nothing. Just to try it for 14 days and see if you don't see a difference in your pet in two weeks or less. And if your pet likes it, our pet loves it. Maybe yours won't, but let's find out. Roughgreens.com is where you can go to take advantage of this offer. R-U-F-F for roughgreens.com. And you can give them a call if you want to go old school at 833-ROUGH-DOG. That's 833-ROUGH-DOG. And again, that's R-U-F-F. Let's get to, gentlemen, some theology Thursday. And, and I thought, given the theme today, other than uh, risking my life again to do this show, uh, I thought the theme for the day called for this topic. And of course, the theme is the 20th anniversary of 9-11. And one of the things we heard a lot in the days after 9-11, and I was still not converted at this point in time, so it made a lot of sense to me. When I heard this in 2001, 2002, we all worship the same God, et cetera. We're all part of the world's great monotheistic religion, uh, triumvirate. We have much more in common uh, on a religious basis. And and I think this actually goes to the conversation we just had with Joel C. Rosenberg about why decades of of failure occurred in, in the Middle East. There were a couple of 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 successes. You have to recognize the one great success of Jimmy Carter's presidency uh, with, uh, with 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 Egypt and Israel. And of course, they won the Nobel Prize for that. So we can't say that there were no successes there. But by and large, it failed because of projection. The idea that Christians and Muslims worship the same God. That's how the system thinks. That's a projection from them. But that's not actually the truth or the reality. And neither Christians that follow orthodoxy, nor Muslims who do, by the way, believe this. And so when you, when you state such a claim, you're actually, and, and, and your intention in doing so, I'm guessing, uh, is to be inclusive. You think you're building bridges. In fact, you're burning them. You're, you're not actually building bridges. You're telling every side of the argument that their belief is false. And they should abandon their, their, they should abandon their creed, their convictions. That generates suspicion. What's your ulterior motive? What's the real agenda here? Meanwhile, Donald Trump comes along and says, dude, I've never even asked God for forgiveness, bro. All right. So here's how this works. Like you said, Aaron, last segment, get in our way. We drop mothers of all bombs, uh, partner up with us. We print money. Who's in? All right. Just. Fully embraced people on the on the level of self interest, and now now that might not be the most noble foreign policy agenda we've ever had as a country, but it was, sure was a dang more more effective than attempting to uh, get to, uh, two of the world's uh, dominant religions to syncretize and abandon their core convictions in order to join the global community. That had that had disastrous ramifications and did not work. Trump comes along, he just appeals to people's basic instincts, and lo and behold, we had four peace deals in four years. But I think it's a good time to reset. What do Christians and Muslims believe? Is Allah the same God as the Bible, and it's just the way they see it or interpret it in their culture? If you think this... I have a proposition for you. Let's pick, gentlemen, what we think is the most moderate, modernized Islamic country, predominantly Islamic country in the world, maybe United Arab Emirates, Jordan, Egypt, probably one of those three. Is that fair? One of those three?
0: Yep. Yeah.
2: Okay. If you believe this, I urge you. When travel opens back up internationally to these places go to one of these three countries and in and, and, and go to like the most modern sector of the country. And just begin in, in the open air to say aloud. Christians and Muslims worship the same God. Then sit back and see what happens. In fact, because I'm pro-life, I'm going to I'm gonna, I'm gonna suggest to you up front, don't sit back and see what happens. You're going 100 miles and running NWA style, okay? So bring your track shoes, because you're going to find out just how fast you can get away. That dog ain't going to hunt. And they're going to look at you like you were born with a third eye, or like, I don't know, maybe that whole honor killing thing we talked about in Hadith, de- maybe we need to bring that back. Don't do that. Don't go to these countries and just start openly proclaiming in populist, even urbanized, modernized areas such things, because they don't believe it. And you're gonna find out that even though they've embraced some of our technocracy, they are not willing to embrace some of our secularization and syncretization. They're gonna they, they don't believe we worship the same God. Why? Because we don't. Now, it is possible that Christianity and Islam are both wrong. They could both be wrong. And if you're a non-Messianic Jewish watcher or listener to this show, for example, that's where you're at in the argument, okay? Um, Or if you're not religious at all, you might think, hey, they're all nuts, okay? We could all be nuts. We, We could all be simultaneously nuts. But I'm going to show you that we cannot simultaneously be right. That's not possible. First of all, Muhammad could not read or write. He was illiterate. He was accosted by an angel one day in a cave who gave him the word Quran, which means to recite. So here we have a fully human being. Who is illiterate, cannot read or write. In Christianity. Jesus is fully human, but also fully God. And he is not, he actually doesn't doesn't bring you words. He is the word. He is the word of God. The incarnation of God's will. That's what he is. He is the will of God, the word of God, the word made flesh. So right away, these two things aren't controvertible. Now. If we're going to be perfectly fair, we like to always point out the horrible things people do in the name of Muhammad and Allah, but folks, we all know that there have been lots of horrible things done in the name of Christ over the years as well. A couple of centuries ago in this country, you could have visited several states where they would have brought preachers in on Sundays to preach to their black slaves and and preach to them that honor the king meant to also obey your slave masters. All right. And, and, and they would have done that in the name of Jesus. Horrible things have been done both in the name of Jesus and Jehovah, just as they have been in the name of Muhammad and Allah. That is why we're going to look at the characteristics of the, of the, of the founders of these two faiths. Not the followers. But the character rises, rises and falls on the founder, not the follower. So right away, Muhammad cannot read or write. He is an illiterate human. Jesus is God made flesh. He is the word of God brought to physical manifestation in life. So there there is an immediate difference right there. Muhammad spent the last 20 years of his life in concurrent warfare. He died actually in the middle of fighting a war. So... Muhammad died in the cause of killing those who disagreed with him. Jesus died for the cause of dying for those who disagreed with him. He gave his life as a ransom for many. He laid down his life for his friends even though at the time we were we we were his enemy but he still saw us as friends. He laid down his life on our behalf. Muhammad took others' lives for rejecting him. Jesus gave his life to those who rejected him. That's another pretty big difference. Islam does not believe God has a son. In fact, when the Muslim, when the Moors, when the Muslim invaders took over Jerusalem during the Crusades, um, they when they erected the Dome of the Rock. If you were to be allowed inside of there, and chances are if you were of your people of the book, as they say about Christians and Jews, you would not be. But if you were allowed inside of there, you would look up on the in the interior of that dome and see the words, God has no son. Meanwhile, Jesus is God's only begotten son, that whomsoever shall believe in him will not perish, but have eternal life. And God did not send his son into the world in order to condemn the world, but so that through him, the world may be saved again these are these aren't folks secondary issues these are issues of, of difference in social teaching these are fundamental creeds of these belief systems and they just don't line up at all so in the Bible Paul writes in the New Testament that if Christ be not raised your preaching is in vain and you're all still dead in your sins he puts the resurrection as the fulcrum of the faith with no resurrection there is no christianity if jesus isn't alive today that any of the other things he said or claimed they still might be worthwhile life teachings and wisdoms but they are not transcendent and, and not to be followed or worshiped now of course to be resurrected you have to be what first dead so jesus was crucified and on the third day he rose from the dead proving the credibility and integrity of all of his other works and teachings that he alone is god in islam jesus is not crucified allah puts up a a, a separate entity in order to trick the jews into crucifying that person instead again these these things just aren't congruent on any level at all they're just not congruent in fact in some teachings of islam Jesus returns at the end of days to kill those who falsely taught that he was the son of God in Christianity the atonement of Christ is the penalty that gives you the assurance if you put your faith in that atonement it gives you the assurance of knowing that your eternity is guaranteed from the wrath of God, that you escape the wrath of God you deserve. In Islam, you are to perform, as a Muslim, five pillars of the faith. And you could perform all giving alms to the poor, for example, uh, making the Hajj to Mecca, those are two of the five. You can perform all of these five to the best of your ability for your entire life, but still not yet know for certain that you will be granted eternity in paradise from Allah. So Jesus dies for those who reject him. Muhammad kills those who reject him. Jesus voluntarily gave up his life at the end. Muhammad lost his life fighting a war, taking lives of other people for 20 years. Muhammad was illiterate. Jesus is the word of God made flesh. Jesus offers eternal security and escape from the wrath of God. The religion Muhammad founded offers you no 100% assurance or guarantee. You can ever escape the wrath of God except for some teachings in the hadith that say if you take the life of an infidel in the in the spread of Allah in the spread of in the spread of Islam that is how you get guaranteed assurance from Allah. That's why they've been doing it from the very beginning. Other than that though, these things line up completely perfectly, and yes, we're all worshiping the same God. It's just not logic, logically possible. It may be what you want to believe. It might be why you put the coexist bumper sticker on your car. I would like to believe that Cindy Johnson, my landlord, knows how to get rid of wasps out of the office in the 21st century. I'd like to believe that. Unfortunately, I, I just I, I'm, I'm greeted by reality nearly every day at work now. So you can put all the coexist bumper stickers on your car you want. It doesn't change. that None of the central creeds of these respective faiths line up on any level whatsoever. Christians and Muslims could both be worshiping a false god, but they are definitely not worshiping the same god. We'll get Todd and Aaron's thoughts here in a second right after I tell you about Omega XL. If you're struggling with chronic pain. This is the pain that comes from too much inflammation in the body, the lingering achiness, soreness, etc. often seen in your back, your neck, your hips, your shoulders. Chances are that's too much inflammation in the body. If you're looking for an all-natural anti-inflammatory, one that's backed by 35 years of clinical research and over a year of being used each day by yours truly, so I can personally vouch for it, check out Omega XL right now. It will neutralize the inflammation that is causing your chronic pain. And if you want to try it today, you can buy one bottle and get a second one for free when you go to OmegaXL.com Steve. That's OmegaXL.com slash Steve. Or give them a call at 800-844-4888. That's 800-844-4888. Todd and Aaron, you get the last word.
0: Well, how did we get to this ridiculous place because what Steve said it was obvious for a very long time from generation to generation. Well, we got to this place because here, uh, in our, uh, in Des Moines, our local, uh, big, uh, Catholic school recently disciplined a teacher. God bless them because that teacher was, uh, putting up a rainbow pride flag, uh, in, uh, his or her classroom. I'm not entirely sure which gender and maybe she, he or she doesn't either. Uh, and, uh, in reaction to that, a fellow parishioner of mine, who I've always known to be very nice, posted on Facebook why she thought this was a, a not, not very nice and actually cited from the Catechism of the Catholic Church about why she thought it was okay for this rainbow flag to be hung up in the name of compassion. Yes. To which then I replied to her with another citation from the Catechism of the Catholic Church and she promptly blocked me. That's how we got to this place.
2: Hmm. Aaron.
3: We're going out here in about 20 minutes or 20 seconds.
2: Oh, sorry about that. I didn't mean to leave you hanging out there. I'm sure whatever you were going to say with less, with more than 20 seconds would have been great. (laughs) We'll be back at it again tomorrow, folks. Until then, John 317.